wash your tissue now, don't I? This is the Black Rifle Coffee Podcast. So, what is this that you're doing right now? I'm looking up gaslighting yeah. because it came up in discussion. I know. With our good friend here. Yeah. Uh, which is a form of manipulation. Yes. Do you think you've ever been gaslit? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I, I think people inadvertently do it uh, based on just human behaviors because they'll they'll lie. So a form of gaslighting would be misrepresenting the past and pretending like you're you remembered it wrong. Right. right. Yes. And so it, it gives you this distinct feeling like maybe I didn't understand the, the correct consequence or the I didn't understand the circumstance correctly. Right. So uh, for instance, and this example would be the other day, you and I were doing something. Well, we'll just say, oh, the other night when we were all together in New Year's Eve, do you remember when you tried to kiss me on at midnight? And you were like, I don't remember yeah. that. And I was like, yeah, it was weird. I, I was kind of out of the out of the ordinary for you because I, I thought it would have come earlier in the evening, something like right, that, right? right? And then you're like, wait, I don't remember that. I have to wait until the, <laughs> wait, the, the new balloon? year to do this? Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. give, give me some of them sweet lips. Yeah. Um, so it's telling a story to create an alternate reality in somebody's <sighs> head in order to control them, essentially. Yeah, right? yeah. And then, so I, I think people have done it for sure. Like they've done it and I, you do it all the time because if you're in a meeting and you're remembering certain things that you've said and you remember them a certain way and then somebody else remembers them a certain way, I think there are absolutely people that are like, misrepresent things because they they don't want to identify that they might have done something wrong. Right. So they're they're like, what do you mean? What what are you talking about? That's what you meant? I can't believe you you said I wanted this done by January 10th. I thought you were joking. I thought that was a joke. I wrote it down in my diary. <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, because I do it. I do it all the time, but I do it more as like I do it as a joke. Because I'm like, don't you remember? Like remember we all had that conversation where like Logan's going to get tits on his back. Yeah. And why didn't you do that? <clears throat> you know? Because it's just fun for you. And you like to play psychological games with people just as like a hobby. Yeah. But most of the time, most of the time, those are fun and they're representing fun. They're not meant to be gaslighting people where they're like, I am really questioning my my entire reality. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess like there, there could be a positive side to this, right? Like if you look at like, let's take the Marine Corps, for example, right? Like you have a lot of humans that show up to boot camp who are not riflemen or hardened killers. Right. And you through a series of storytelling and, uh, a new way of life have to convince these humans that they're hardened warfighters, essentially, right, right? right? And so you convince them of this new reality at this place called boot camp. 
I don't know if that'd be gaslighting. I think gaslighting is is recreating the past. Like part of that is like lying or misrepresenting, oh, blatantly okay. misrepresenting the past gotcha. in order to control current narrative. So you're blatantly, so you're intentionally lying about a circumstance in order to control the conversation and get a, a, a reaction, ah, essentially. Okay. Um, okay. But I think there's okay. multiple forms. I think it's over overused because everybody's like, oh, that person's gaslighting or this person's gaslighting. It does seem like it's a term that's like gotten really popular in the in the last few years. But, th- but that's what the news does. They gaslight, right? So they blatantly misrepresent facts or take little snippets of something. So they, they take things out of context and then they'll misrepresent, we'll call it 15 minutes worth of narrative because of 15 seconds. And then they'll say this 15 seconds represented the 15 minutes. They yeah. Completely misrepresent what's happened. And then they'll run with that over and over and over, knowing and intention, knowing that it's incorrect and then intentionally misrepresenting it in order to control the narrative. That's what they want. Right. So yeah. the term itself, I don't know. Like I always think of gaslighting like like uh like I'm like I'm going camping and I'm lighting my stove. So I always think about like, man, this seems pretty kind of seems kind of cool. It was it came about because of a film. Or sorry, uh, it was originally a British stage play in 1938. The play was called Gaslight, in which this character uses uh control of the past to manipulate this relationship with this woman. Huh. Look at that. Yeah. British do it again. They can't make a car, but they sure as shit can make a good play. Huh? They can't make a car. No, they sure can't. I, name one that's good. No, I can't. I can't yeah. think of I mean, one. Land Rover arguably is a beautiful automobile, but it is incredibly unreliable. Like, yeah. Yeah, there's not, is there? No. You what can't make a what car. about the, the little ones? You mean like the, the Austin Martin or the Mini Cooper? The Mini Cooper. I don't think those are too reliable. I, I think the older ones, they're just kind of little shit boxes, like yeah. almost like poorly engineered, you know, steering wheels on the wrong side. Like there's so many different things that are wrong with it. So much wrong yeah. with it. Um, yeah. But who wants to ride around in one of those things anyway? That's I don't, also a good point. I don't know. I, I think the Land Rover is a beautiful automobile. It's, it's incredible. Like as far as like design and aesthetics and nostalgia being able to think back into, you know, all the different areas that used to take them. And it's kind of that iconic vehicle from African safaris. It really is. Yeah. And they have, you know, like the camel cup series where they would take these things across all these different jungle areas and deserts. And it's, it's an iconic adventure automobile really is. is. Yeah. But it's mechanically not a very sound automobile, just in general. I'm generalizing. I had one. Early on, several years ago, I had one. And it, within the first like 5,000 miles of its life, it was in the shop at a minimum of seven seven times for just like random well, I defects. Th- I thought those things were like, oh, you couldn't break them. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. But come to find out, there's like a whole group of people that have had these before that everybody knows. They're just, eh, they're kind of shitty. They just kind of break down all the time and... You have all kinds of random problems with them. Go figure. Interesting factoid before you get into your thing mm-hmm. is beyond the pale. Do you know where that comes from? Beyond the pale? Yeah. 
like pale as in bucket or like pale as in color. But you've never, heard of pale, right? Yeah. Like, like impale, right? Yes. Like beyond the pale, like you've heard of the same, like beyond the pale. It's like beyond the border. Yep. That's, that's it. So that's what it means. It's beyond the pale, which is um, beyond the border. The pale was a spike, which was a fence. And it was beyond the fence. Okay. So what's outside of your current reality inside, like oh. your current circumstance, everything's nice and cozy. Everything's explained and uniform and you go beyond the pale or go outside of those things. It's discouraged because it's scary and yeah. it could be dangerous. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's I just a, found that out yesterday. It's a fun little fact. It is. Yeah. It's a fun little fact. Yeah. Another fun factoid is that... <clears throat> I am going to quit Black Rifle and I'm going to start a tactical sweatshirt company. Good. Yeah. I like that idea. Yeah. What's it going to be called? Uh, Tactahot. Tactahot. Yeah. Tactawarm. Tactawarm. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Like, is that one well, of them? It was inspired because I'm wearing the drug rug. Um, <laughs> yeah, the warm fuzzy. I don't know if this was warm and fuzzy or not. I think it was from somebody else. I can't was remember. It? it was around the same time. I have a right. warm and fuzzy, but this one's extra tactical because of the Velcro yeah. on the shoulders. Yeah, yeah. And then it also has this big Velcro pouch. I do like that. Where you put your hands nice. to And then it's got a chest pouch. A chest like pouch. it's hyper tactical. It is. And then we saw that YouTube ad today, which was beautiful. It wow. was, it looked like something that we would make to make yeah. fun of. Yeah. It was a fake commercial. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a bad commercial. We won't represent, like, well, the brand is a nothing brand. It's, it's irrelevant. I've never heard of it before, but they're selling this sweatshirt that basically just has Velcro on this, is Velcro on the sleeves with like a bunch of zippers, but it's really nothing extraordinary. It's just a regular sweatshirt for the, for the most part. It's got some Velcro on it. That's about it. It had some Velcro on the shoulders and then it had like arm pockets. Arm pockets. Yeah. yeah it's tactical. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because their entire shtick was you need this tactical sweatshirt, though the commercial was entirely shot around hiking and camping. Yeah. So it was confusing because here's this tactical sweatshirt, which, by the way, this is like 10 years ago or even more. Those things are pretty cool. Like 12, 12 years ago, call mm-hmm. it. When you saw one, and the first time I saw one was actually in Afghanistan, and the guys that made it, I'm trying to think who, what, what company it was that made them, but it's, it's irrelevant. But when you first saw them, you're like, "Whoa, that thing is cool!" Like you got zippers everywhere, and like yeah. Velcro, and man, that thing is cool. It's nothing I would wear out and about because. I I don't want to be, you know, you know, earmarked as a tactical person. I would never have worn one necessarily in like my day-to-day life because I was working in a in a very we'll call them tactical professional circumstance. I didn't necessarily want everybody to know that this was my job either, right? Yeah. But I'm sure there's lots of people like I, I just like the the Patches opportunity. The yeah. more opportunity you have to put patches on and represent yourself yeah. through flair, the more efficient you're going to be mm-hmm. as a soldier, Marine, mm-hmm. airman in general. I wonder how many people are out there that have a 
Velcro patch on their sleeve, like, or Velcro. But, and they have their blood type, but it's actually not their blood type. You know what I mean? You know how that look, that whole look and feel? Yeah, that's risky. But they're like, I like it. You know, let's mix this thing up because let's see what happens. Maybe we create some kind of like, some kind of Marvel comic superhero where, you know, you're A-pause and all of a sudden you get like, you know, B-pause. And then you turn into a superhuman person because you, you didn't look at your blood type or do you think that an EMT, if they were pulling a guy out of like a wreck, a, a vehicle wreck and they looked at the sleeve and they're like, well, shit, this guy's a pause. Let's just plug him up. Let's go. Let's hit this shit. Yeah. You know, they're like, Hey, he's wearing it on his sleeve. Like, you know, it's gotta that's be good true. for me. It's yeah. gotta be good. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like just asking people like, hey, what's your blood type? And then never telling them why I'm trying to ascertain this information right. from them. Yeah. Just keep it fresh. Like a new new date, like a dating circumstance where you bring a girl in and you're like, hey, so welcome to my home. What's your blood type by chance? Yeah. You know, like, why don't we go down? I, I'm doing this research project. It's not a big deal. I just want to make sure that if you get a deep laceration, nothing weird happens to you. I got multiple spare bags of blood laying around. Yeah. Some spare blood bags. Yeah. 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 It's always good to have a couple of spare blood bags every once in a while. Keep them in your fridge. You never know. I do believe in donating blood, which Mm -hmm. I think it does make me feel better, which could be a totally, it could be a total placebo effect. But I think about the, the, when people used to bloodlet all the time, where they would like, just drain themselves of some blood yeah. because they're like, oh, we got the flu. You're either possessed by demons or you have excess blood. Like those are your kind of courses of action. Like the doctor comes in, he's like, these are your three things. Here's your choices. I know you got a you know runny nose and a cough, but I think I'm going to lobotomize you. I'm either going to lobotomize you, I'm going to drain your blood, uh, or we're going to get the priest in here to try to get the demons out. You know, like, those are great how, options. How epic would it have been to be a doctor back then? Like, I, I don't know. Read, I feel like I brought this up on a show before, but you know, the, the barber spinny thing. Yeah. Yeah. The barber pole. Yeah. The barber pole, yeah. the red and blue and white barber pole. Right. Do you know the meaning behind that? I have no idea. So that's, it goes back to like the 1800s. There's red in the barber pole because that used to be a service. They bleed you. For bloodletting. Yeah. Got it. That's why it's on the barber pole. Interesting. So you go in, blue, yeah. oh, this place I can get a haircut. Yeah. Also, red, I can get my bloodlet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. They should do that. They should open that up again. I think so. Like I a think, good bloodletting. I think Jared would be a really good proprietor yeah. of that because yeah. he's he's on this bloodlet train. In general, because he has so much excess blood that he just needs to be giving it away. Yeah. I do feel better. If I donate blood, I haven't been able to because of the whole Lyme's thing for the last year. But I do feel better. Like if I donate blood on a regular basis and and maybe it's just me, maybe I'm just like, oh man, I'm, I'm building my blood back up, you know? Uh, I feel better. Uh, it could be, could be total shit. I don't know. Uh, I'm interested to see because I, I was off, I, I was on carnivore for a month. So I'm interested to see what my blood results will yield me coming yeah. back on because I, I came off it for holidays because my wife makes like 
super mean apple pie. And I had to kind of eat some pies and ice creams and stuff like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In those meat pockets? Yeah, those meat pocket things are delicious. Oh, goodness. With Jericho's elk meat. Jericho's elk. Yeah. In a, what, what are they called? Is it a kolache? Yeah. Little yeah. meat pockets, little croissant meat pockets. Oh, oh man. God, they're so good. Yeah, that, that little crispy, crunchy exterior that she puts. And she doesn't eat these things. She just makes them so we can enjoy them. And it's kind of sad because you're like, you should eat the th- these things because they're that good. Yeah. She's like, no, I'm good. Yeah. I'm like, why are you such a bitch? You know? I, I did the, uh, I had COVID over like right after Thanksgiving, I had COVID yeah. and I think it was the first time I had it. Yeah. It could have been. Right. But I did the NAD treatment at like day seven right. of that. Yep. And it felt like getting new blood. Yeah. I haven't felt that rejuvenated in quite a while. Yeah. I've done it a few times. I like it, but it, I, it, it just doesn't do anything. Like I, I think it might over the long term, and I th- think if I, you know, keep at it like every forty five days, I think is what the recommended procedural, you know, yeah, process is. Maybe, but man, it's it. I feel good when I'm getting it, but it's not like I sleep better. You know, it's not like I sleep better and have more energy. Maybe I just drink so much caffeine that. That could be... I would say for you, the caffeine consumption and the amount of stress Mm. that exists is probably going to overpower whatever uh, fluids you're putting into your veins at that time. Yeah. I'm interested to try the high dose vitamin C thing. Like I've been reading a lot about that. I haven't heard this. Mm. Well, during my my limes period, Mm -hmm. we'll just call it the, the lime period, uh... I was looking at different forms of therapy to try to cure limes, And one of the alternate forms of therapy was high dose vitamin C treatment, which is also, some people have used it in a combination of ways like maybe cancer and some other things like they're using it for, but it's supposed to be really good for you. And there are a few places in the United States where you can go and get high doses of vitamin C. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to try it. What's the, what's the worst thing that can happen? You know, like I look like an orange. I don't think you can overdose on vitamin C. I don't think you can either. You look like an orange. I I can't imagine there's anything wrong with it. No. Mm. What else is going on? We're here at Logan's house, by the way. We're out here in Logan's, we called it Logan's Dojo back in the, the last month when we were here. Yeah. It's got a couple of these Liberty safes. I think it's interesting here because Logan moved into Matt's old house. Yeah. That's the way we, that's the way we do business. We share all of our, our, uh, share all of our stuff, you know, all the assets, it's group community assets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But he left you these two beautiful Liberty safes, which I think are pretty amazing. And I can't believe that he did that, but he did it. You know, it was a very kind thing to do. Yeah. And they're filling up quick. Yeah, yeah, they're filling up quick. Real quick. What's the one gun? Like I have my next gun that I'm that I've like got yeah. earmarked. Mm. What is the one gun that you're like, this one's either on order, on order, like you you got it coming, mm-hmm. or the one that you're like, I gotta get this one. 
Because you were talking about like, you wanted some like nostalgia guns back in the day. Well, the last time we had this discussion, I still haven't gotten that rifle. Um, Which one is it? The Grand? The, no, the Barrett MRAD. Oh, yeah. That one that got the sniper contract for yeah, yeah. each branch. But it was really cool because we were in Bozeman for TAC mm-hmm. and Shane from Loophole comes up to me. He's like, hey, did you get that Barrett? Yeah. And I'm like, nope. Why? Why do you ask? He's like, we're going to get it for you. What? And throw all the new, new loophole Shut up. on it. And I was like, that like, is incredibly nice. Yeah, I know. What yeah. do they want? What are they trying to they, Is he trying to have sex with you? He, I'm, right? He's got it. Whatever okay. he wants. He's got it. Shane, whatever you need, <laughs> man. I'm coming for you. Uh, and then... I mean, it's not a short list by any means, but the HK-51 is like at my heart right now. Yeah, yeah. Because that thing is such a mean rifle. Mm-hmm. Like the full What auto. caliber is that? It's 7.62. The yeah. full auto, mm-hmm. 7.62 and that little little tiny. It's the same for- platform as the MP5. Right. It's just, this one goes to 11. Right. I've got a, uh, I've got a couple questions for you. So your sniper rifle that you used, mm-hmm. that was the 308, right? Yes. So Correct. was Primarily. that the entire was that the entire time they used it? Or yeah. Who, I was originally trained on the M forty A three, which was the model before it had the suppressor mm-hmm. attachment to it. And then we used the Barrett fifty cal. Right. And then I in Afghanistan I carried the Knights Armament Mark eleven the whole time, which is also same round, different platform. Right. Mm-hmm. So which one do you like the most? Uh, if you if you if you're to be dumped off into a war zone tomorrow, which one would you use? You know it. Mission dictates, but I I would go to the same. I would stick with that knights. That knights, yeah, yeah. Because I've got twenty round mags, mm-hmm. so I can like I've you know dumped two mags with that thing before, and it works in that capacity. But you right. can also reach out and like I'm probably not going to engage. Unless I absolutely have to, like, past 800 with that thing. Right. But if you're mobile and you have the ability to reach out and touch at 800 plus with that thing. Right. That's what I'm going with. Yeah. Did you wear yours with a sling and, like, sling it like this? And then with your, just wear it like that on patrol? Where yeah. You've got, yeah. You've got uh, your leather, sling and the a leather. leather sling. <laughs> And I'd polish it every <laughs> night by the fire, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's so funny because, like, man, you look at like the old, the Vietnam era sniper rifles. Like those guys just had hunting rifles. They were hunting rifles, and yeah. that those old freaking scopes, man, that were like two feet long yeah. on the front. Like the technology has come a long way. You know, in it's a short a, period of time. That's a good point when you think about because it, there was a hesitancy to even utilize snipers in Vietnam. Did you ever read yeah. Carlos yeah, yeah. Hathcox yep. and the, the whole history of you know, long-range shooting and sniping? And there's the conventional commanders were like, we don't want to use this because we feel it's a form of, of cheating, like terrorism. They didn't like it. Right. It's assassination. Yeah. We're like, we're not going to be part of that. We're, we go to war with our guys we don't want to be part of this whole, like, we're going to one-off shoot people. Yeah, which is a really strange mentality to have, which I I don't understand that at all, why people 
like have these false expectations that like the idea behind being good at war is to be as good at violence as possible. Mm-hmm. Right. And what, what an incredible tool to be able to do that with, you know, you, you don't have to have huge amounts of information relayed to certain people when you're utilizing a sniper in a capacity. Like you need one competent human sometimes, you know, like in Carlos Hathcock's case, like that dude did a lot of damage in the jungle by himself, you know? And now like when I was in Afghanistan, like you can't even leave the wire. You couldn't leave without eight dudes. Right. Because of the security measures that they had in place. But why wouldn't you want to have like that single human that you can drop off in right. anywhere at any time in any climb and have the knowledge and where all that they can like actually confirm for you that they did something without any collateral damage involved in it. Yeah, that Think about that. Think about this dude used to leave the wire. By himself for days on end. Days on, like a long, like sometimes weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So when you think about that, think about what if you were to go to your, let's just say, rewind the clock. You're in Afghanistan. You're, were you Lance Corporal? Corporal. 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 So you're Corporal Stark. And you're like, listen up, guys. I'm going to take off for a couple of weeks and just do some shooting. Um, See you when I see you. How do you think that would have flown? Well, it's crazy. Not at all. I would have like, immediately <laughs> they, been relieved. They might have said, maybe it's time for you to go home because you're a fucking insane person. Maybe like it's time for you to go back to like the, the, the loony bin. <laughs> well, that's what's so interesting about Vietnam and like, so I think about that, like even for me to lead the wire, say right. I was like, I'm going to go do this by myself because right. I can be that much more efficient. I can't leave at night. Right. In the situation I was in, I, I, I couldn't leave at night right. because the ID threat was too bad. Right. right. We we never, hardly ever did we do any patrols at night. And we passed this down through SOPs. Like the the unit that re, we that relieved us, we we're like, do not, do not go out at night. Don't do it. Don't do it. You need to be able to see visual markers for where I like they do it the first week they're there and some dude gets blown up like at night. Like imagine like how much worse that is to have to deal with from a casualty perspective too, when you're dealing with all of that at night. Right? right. So I don't know. I couldn't have left at night. I couldn't have left during the day. Right. So it's like Mako. 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 Mako Stark gets all, gets all spun up and crazy. He's got to bark. He's got to get his bark in. He does it. He does this thing where it's like, it's, he can't help himself. No. He does it. It's like a cough. Yeah. Ooh. He does this thing with a boo. Yeah. Boo. But in Vietnam, like you're, you're immediately like, you're just in the jungle. So you can be sneaky and you can have 360 degree concealment at all times. So like you couldn't even do, that's why Vietnam's just so interesting as a conflict because you couldn't even do that. Yeah. You could leave the wire and be in the, in the hungla, you know, mm-hmm. like you're, you're an Indian country. Like as soon as you leave the wire, you're, you're, hey, well, my perception of Vietnam is completely skewed, of course, but there was, right. and there is a lot of stories from guys that were like, no, they would leave, go on patrol. They'd get hit. Like they'd be like in a lasting tick, like less than a K outside of the wire, like just fucking getting it on. Right. And you're like, cause you can see anything. The, that circumstance to me, 
is crazy. Like when you think about like, okay, yeah, but you've got a ton of concealment, smaller units, more effective unit, because you're going to be able to, you know, fold into the the foliage. Yeah. <laughs> um, but now you got open spaces, right? High density urban areas with a, done a ton of eyeballs. So the eyeballs are everywhere. Right. So there, there was no ability for us to leave as an individual because the fucking people are everywhere yeah. and it's open. So it's they can just, just see too much you. of a risk. Yeah. Too much of a risk. Way too much of a do risk. Do you think if we would have been in the jungle though, do you think we would have been able to do one man ops? Or do you I, think that, that we just like, we're past that as a nation? I, no, I 100%. I just don't think it would have been happening in a conventional situation. No. Like, I don't think they would have let scout snipers re-engage the way they did in Vietnam and no. Afghanistan. But they, we, we had to rework a lot of doctrine after saying it at Afghanistan for snipers in general, because we actually, the way we were employed was more reminiscent of how they operated in Vietnam than it was the current doctrine that we had developed after the early wars or early years of Iraq. So like I would, my camouflage, a lot of times I would, I would camouflage down. So like I was trying to look more like a standard infantry guy, which is why I always carried that, that Mark 11 black gun as opposed to the bolt action rifle is because I wasn't, I was trying to look like a normal patrol guy. And that's the way they did it in Vietnam because you know, you go through just about any old book and there's going to come to a place where they start taking pop shots on a patrol and they yell sniper up. Right. Because you got to think about it. Like nobody had optics on the rifles before. Right. So you need like how valuable snipers were in Vietnam from just an observation capacity in general. Like those guys were so busy because they were the only ones with optics outside of some platoon commander carrying around binos. Right. I mean, as to where today, you know, everybody's got an ACOG. Hell, Marines are qualifying with ACOGs in in boot camp now. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So did did all the guys in the regular, in the regular infantry in the Marine Corps, did they have optics? Like every one of them? Or were they still, some of those dudes still using iron sights? In Afghanistan? Yeah. No, no iron sights. Right. Yeah. Everybody had ACOG or... Uh, the Schmidt and Bender. Right. <clears throat> when I first, when I did the invasion of Iraq, dudes were still rocking, like there were still Marine line units rocking no optics, like straight iron. Oh and yeah. It, oh yeah. Oh, that's straight iron stuff right there. Yeah. 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 Cause I remember cruising around going, wow, <laughs> this is, this is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There was a task force, uh, Tarawa, believe that came in from the east side and I got behind them and who knows what type of unit they were right I, I don't I can't remember maybe they were like transportation unit or something like that you know but I remember going whoa yeah that's crazy got straight up iron sights I know well that like you think about the evolution of warfare that's what was so crazy to me about the Ukraine videos that Nolan put together over at Coffee or Die like he's still on the front line oh in Ukraine right now and like the thing that really hit me was the the drone implementation oh, yeah. on a small scale mm-hmm. to where like you go and watch like you could tell the guy that w- was leading Nolan around was scared to be in a place where it was open to the sky right because they have so many dudes that are just 
like kamikaze flying drones, it's fucking like nuts. tiny little, like, you know, not too dissimilar from what we've got with our, our camera DJI drones, like right. four prop little drones. And yeah. they're just attaching explosive to them. And just, you know, cause the, the front line isn't that far apart. They were saying 50 yards. Sometimes yeah. they know that the Russians are over there and these guys are just flying drones and, and flying them into your position. And it changes what, how you have to think about warfare because now if you're open, if you're in an open area to the sky, like there's a threat. Right. And so like even just being outside is a threat, right? Like right. How, how that would mess with you mentally and change the way that you had to do business, right? Like what were you going to put up a net everywhere? Well, you go back to almost a, a trench warfare with overhead cover. That's basically along the border. Cause if you're cruising, yeah. when you, if you ever get the chance, not get the chance, but you guys should go check out coffee or dies coverage on the Ukraine because it's, it's extensive. Uh, Nolan does an incredible job. It's, it's really great, great content that, they did a, a series of pieces on it that were kind of mind blowing. When you when you look at a coffee company is funding, you know the type of journalism that's happening, which I also think is hilarious because there there are people on Twitter that were claiming that somehow we were like beating the war drums to go, uh, you know, to go to <laughs> yeah. war with, and I'm like to go to go to war with Russia, which m- maybe that is an idiot's diagnosis of what we're doing uh, with our journalists, the journalist coverage over there. That's purely an idiot, like running his mouth. Uh, We've, we've spent a lot of time uh, directly trying to, to cover the conflict, to give people an insight to what's happening because there isn't proper coverage and the failure of mainstream media, not being able to cover these types of, very significant historic historically significant events and there's nobody over there has- a coffee company is covering this like man we're trying to to put people in the field and cover things because mainstream media isn't doing it they're not doing it no and you this, don't know anything about this it has huge global implications it like it does I, I don't know why this isn't like being something that's being talked about more like you look at nato and they're what they would potentially have to do. Like if Russia goes yes. and invade, like also NATO's like in this weird middle ground because they don't want to bring in Ukraine. No. Because they know that with Russia on the precipice, now, now it's just mm-hmm. war, conventional warfare for all of Europe like that. Right. And that's not a decision people want to have to make, you know, but, but like, dude, it's crazy. Like Nolan's wife, and mother-in-law were drafted Correct. into the Ukrainian military. Yeah. Today. Everybody. 2021. Everybody. Hey, diddle, diddle, everybody down the middle. Yeah. Like, we're all going. Like, if that doesn't, like, scream how serious the situation is, I, I, I don't know what does. But could you imagine that happening in the United States? Right. Where it was so serious that females started getting drafted again. Right. Well, just the draft in general, yeah. right? So, I mean, I, I don't disagree with conscription whatsoever, just so everybody knows. I'm sure that uh, there'll be plenty of people that want to argue with me in the in the context of our comments, but I think that one of the problems that we've had over the last 20 years is there, in one of the, the reasons why we don't have this 
desire to understand what's happening in the wars that we're fighting in is because we haven't had a conscript army because we've basically been a volunteer based army. And when you're a volunteer, it's much easier for the parents of volunteers to not care. Yeah. And when I say not care, they care about their kids. They, they care about being patriotic. They care about fighting a just war. They care about all of those things. But if you're being conscripted, people would take a very vested interest in trying to understand the conflict, understand the history, understand the significance of the conflict. Why are we there? What what was our withdrawal plan? What is our minimum success criteria? Because they wouldn't arbitrarily want to be to to be voluntold right. that this is what they're going to do. So it would. And I've had this argument with multiple people and I love the debate because it's, it's a fun debate because they say, well, that, that lowers the standard of the United States military. And that is just enough to, to, to devalue the you know, conscription. I'm like, well, but I, don't, I, I don't understand that argument though. How does that lower the expectation of the, the military in its totality? I, I don't know. I think, I think they go back to all the problems that they had in the military with Vietnam and, and not with Vietnam, but the, the conscription based army right. in the Vietnam era, lots of drug abuse, you know, lots of unethical behavior within the military ranks right now. I think the military is a very, very clean, organized, well-executed, like running machine. I think they're afraid that if you started turning it into conscription, you'd have a bunch of apathy. And people that didn't really give a fuck, and they were just like, okay, I'm here to... Sure, sure, and just aren't down for the mission because no. they don't want to be. They don't want to be. They don't they, they don't want to be put in harm's way. Whatever that might be, I still think that you would have very clear divisions between the people that were there and dedicated to the mission and people that were just clearly, you know, conscripts that were just yeah not willing to fight or participate in this. But more importantly, I think it forces the nation to have a very complex and in-depth conversation about the conflicts that we're in and holding our political officials or, you know, holding them accountable right. for their actions because you won't want your children to be going overseas and fighting in an unjust war. You just won't. And then people won't want to do that either because they're going to be conscripted. They're going to go, well, why? Right. Why am I supposed to go and do this? Why am I r- risking life, limb, and liberty to go do a mission? Which, which is totally fine if the mission is worth doing. But <clears throat> if that's yeah. not being communicated to you and why you're going to do that, none of it works. None of it works. Would you have volunteered for Vietnam, do you think, if you were alive in the Vietnam era? I mean, I would like to say that I, I would have. You right. Know? But, I mean... Because we did it later in time. Right. You'd like to think that. Knowing what you know now, would you still join the Marine Corps and do what you did? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, so based off of my experiences and based off of what I've learned in the military, about the military after getting out and meeting many more people who served and kind of collectively getting more and more experience. Um, What I didn't like about 
my Marine Corps experience was that there was, it was a, the style was a little passive when some other areas of operations were very, very aggressive. Mm. Like I would, I wish that I could have been on the offensive and bringing the fight to the enemy way more than like what, you know, a lot of Afghanistan turned into for me personally was a movement to contact. Right. Right. Like we're just going to go out and we're going to patrol these grid squares until we start getting shot at, which is fine. But I wish that that would have been balanced from a mission set that we're like actively, aggressively attacking them and having the element of surprise on our side as opposed to just doing a ton of movement to contact. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't even think about war in that that context that you just explained. Yeah. Which is interesting because I don't, I only think about it in the pursuance of, of enemy. So even like presence patrols and things like that, you like don't even have a lot of context to it. Yeah, it feels like you're you're kind of starting the fight with one hand tied your behind your yeah. back because you don't like you don't know specifically what's going to happen. You're you're in a reactive state, right? To, whereas I would have preferred to be in a proactive state. You know, I listen and I trade stories with Matt, Marty, mm-hmm. Luke Ryan, and like those guys. We're coming with a, a fucking hammer and they had the element of surprise and they had the, the upper hand in, right. in their engagements almost every single time they went out. Yeah, it's a it's an ambush. You're mm-hmm. it's the difference between being the ambusher and the ambushy, right. Right? right? Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Like that that's such a different way of viewing the the war too. Because yeah. I don't have a lot of context to it. I understand it, but I don't have a lot of context to it. So would you change your service? Um, no, I don't think I, I don't think I could say that. Right. I look at like the, the smallest element of the tribe that I worked into that being the scout sniper community and the, the individuals that existed they're like our top-notch humans. Right. And they come from a very varied background. And like I I like that I like that tribe so much that I don't think I could offer up to say I want to go hmm. be something else. And right. I think my my personality fits that mm-hmm. profession the best. I don't and I don't think I could say I would rather do something different. Well, if what if what if you didn't have the choice, right? So if you could go back and you don't have the choice, right? I'm taking the join the Marine Corps equation out of it and you have no ability to join any service, what would you have done differently? As far as Yeah, because you're what, 19 when you joined? 20, yeah. 20. Yeah. So if you could replace the four years with something completely different, what would you have done differently? Outside of the military? Yeah. Like anything. Anything. It's a hypothetical conversation. I'm yeah. not, I'm, it's not, yeah, not no. as if I have a time machine. That's a good, that's a really good question. Um, I probably would have done, uh, I would have gone and participated in other people's conflicts. Like when I look at. Oh, wow. You yeah. would have been a mercenary. Not or like a, a French foreign legion guy or something. Not necessarily a, a mercenary, but I look at like the way Ernest Hemingway lived. Yeah. To where there's. 
like he cared about what was happening on, mm. from a global perspective and he wanted to participate in it. And he also wanted to communicate what was happening globally back to an audience. Mm. Like, I have great amount of respect for that. And I think it would have been something, it would have been an existence driven by exploration, adventure, uh, documentation. Like that's probably where I would have gone where as opposed to like, you know, it was hard for me to get to that point in my life where I could say no to being in the military right. anymore. You know, yeah, yeah. it was like this, like, that's the thing you have to go. To. But if that wasn't on the table and we, the whole GWAT didn't exist, there's still like conflict happening across the globe yeah. that I would have felt like I still needed to go and experience that part of the mm. human experience in general and go see what that's like. Right. Cause it's always just uh, like, I observe ways and cultures and how they exist. And I want, I want to go be worldly. Right. Like I, I think it's hard to talk shit on being a worldly human. I think going out, experiencing different cultures, experiencing different countries, like it gives you a value in life that you can't get in a book. Mm-hmm. You can't learn about that. You like, you have to go do that. And I think it would have been very driven towards like, I wouldn't have cared too much about money. It would have been about going places and exploring what right. it was like to be a human in different situations. Yeah. They're, they're, it's like a romantic um, visualization mm-hmm. from, because uh, I think about the times, like especially in like the 1940s, 19, or 1930s, the 1940s, 1950s, 1960s, 1970s. And I always think back where those, would, that would have been a very interesting time to participate in history yeah. and then see those things unfold. But I, I, I think about it and I shift back and forth. This is the conversation I have with myself is, well, but that's happening now. It's right. the same thing. It's just, we have a phone or we have, you know, we have more technology and there's more information, but it's basically happening now. Mm-hmm. You have to look for the next frontier, right? right? Because that's kind of what it is. Yeah. The unfortunate thing I think for some of us is... For adventure seekers and guys that would be like us, right? We're like very independent. We're, we're, we, we really much, uh, very much about when we look at like kind of more libertarian esque type circumstances where we're, we're going to go out and make our own. We're going to make our own way. We're going to, you know, carve our own path in life, whatever it is, right? This rugged individualist um, identity. You used to be able to go west. Yeah. West or north. Yeah. Yep. Go west Yukon or north. Or the wild west. Yeah. But we can't do that. Right. <laughs> so we can't go west and we can't go north because everything has basically been settled. But there's no, when we think about wild places, these unsettled wild places where frontiersmen and people in the generations before us used to be able to do that. Yeah. And now, a lot of us, we can't do that. So what do we do? Right. I was thinking about this. Uh, That's why I'm obsessed with space. Yeah. Yeah. Space. Because that seems like that's... It's not that it hasn't been explored yet, obviously, but it's right. like 
that seems like such a difficult thing right. to accomplish in a new environment that it's... What about the under underwater? Because there hasn't been a lot of that explored. What what intrigues you more, space or the ocean? Space. Okay. I think instinctually I am I'm more scared of the ocean than space. Are you scared of like the ocean attacking you now? Like no. in this house. In this house. I'm not scared, but I think about like, so the thought process would, I would, uh, it would, I always like go to like what the precipice of the experience would be. And it's like, do I want to get in a submarine and go, you know, 5,000 feet deep into the ocean or take the same amount of risk and go into space. Right. I would just rather do space. Yeah. yeah. But there's now, now that I'm answering that, like I'm starting to second guess because there's just so much cool shit to look at in the ocean. Like, do you remember that thing that James Cameron did years ago where yeah. he went into a one man, uh, what would you even call that? Submersible. Thing? Submersible. And he yeah. went like, how deep did he, do you he remember? He went to the, um, did he go down the Marianas Trench? Yeah, did he go he did. to the bottom? I don't know if he went to the bottom, but he went to, like, I think he set a record as to, yeah. you know, individual depth, uh, which is James Cameron. Yeah. You know, dude, like, it, it, it's interesting how rich guys just like make enough money where they're like, I guess I'm going to go to the bottom of the ocean and now I'm going to go to space, you know? Right. Like billionaires, millionaires, whatever. They're just like, yeah, I'm going to do this now. Which I think... I think, and I can appreciate because, you know, Elon Musk became the the wealthiest man in the world. And he's also, because SpaceX and Tesla and the boring company and all these really interesting things that he's doing. And everybody loves him. I mean, for the most part, I think a lot of people really admire the way that he does business. But then you think about Jeff Bezos, Mm -hmm. people hate him. Yeah. He's almost like the villain, you know. He's a, he, it's like a yin and yang. Yeah, too. Well, there's like an evil villain, and then yeah, there's like this other Doctor Evil vibe. He does, him, yeah, because right? it's like bald head. Do you think it's like people just don't like bald people? You think it's like a bald people discrimination? Maybe issue? it's like yeah, maybe they're like less trustworthy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. It's I mean, so people true. love that dude. They love him, but it's like Jeff Bezos is. Yeah, why they do fucking hate him? Like, Jeff Bezos. I didn't, but he doesn't do interviews. So he doesn't do interviews. He doesn't sit for anything. He's, I don't even know if he's on Twitter. So maybe they, maybe it's just easier for people to villainize him. Probably because he doesn't have a presence there. Right. Towards like, you just see like Elon does weird shit. He does cryptic shit through Twitter. Yeah. yeah. Just like, like, it's just interesting. Doge going to the moon. Like, you know, are you into cryptocurrency? Do you, I participate. I wouldn't say that I have a masterful understanding of it, but I do see the relevance and the prominence it's probably going to have in the future yeah. with decentralized currency. And, you know, I have tried to diversify myself into that world a little bit. Yeah, but I by no means am I an expert on it. Right. But you participate in it. I do, yeah. You have some. I have some, yeah. You got some in your... Do you have like a... A wallet, like an e-wallet or whatever, or do you just like buy into Coinbase? Yeah, yeah well, I have a coin purse. Oh, you do? <laughs> uh, yeah. 
I, I do it through a couple of, like Richard sent me up with yeah. a wallet. Right. And then when uh, Robin Hood opened up yeah. crypto trading, yeah. I started doing it through there too. Oh, you did? Yeah. Yeah. I tried it. I, I did it through Coinbase. Yep. And or no, Celsius. I did Celsius. Oh, yeah. 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 What if you get crazy and you have a skullet that you add dreads to? What are you talking and about? And you've got a dreaded <laughs> skullet. Because there was, Miguel did look up a little bit to where uh, there is a perception that uh, bald people are more intimidating and less liked because of their baldness. But I said, right. what if you have a skullet? Yeah. Like a skullet's pretty sick. Skullet's pretty cool. Like a skullet, a dread skullet. Like, yeah. you know, exactly. like some, uh, some dreads, like, but then you're bald on top. You, you've got the horseshoe yep. and you're like, I'm so happy that I'm still alive. I don't care that I'm bald. I'm going to grow out what hair I have. Yeah. Really, really long. I think you should shave your head like you have the bald spot on top. Like just go buzz it all the way back, create the horseshoe, then grow out, grow out the, 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 the skullet. That's not a bad option. Or I do nothing but a rat tail. Yeah. Shaved, completely yeah. shaved head, except With for like their, a three foot rat tail yeah. coming out the back. I like that. I like that idea a lot. That or really you could aggressive. do a front rat tail. A so front rat? The front rat would go shave the whole thing, leave a tiny little piece up front that's really long that you can go all the way back. So you oh, can go front, wow. back. That's intense. Right? The braided. front rat. Braided. A braided front rat. Mm -hmm. I, I like that. I think you should do a braided front rat. That's what I think. Or you get real crazy and you do, you got the front rat and the back rat. You got, you, you got dual <laughs> rats going. Dual rats. You can, and then you, you take the back rat. Hold on. I got, I got a whole new thing. Take dual back rats, grow them out long enough that you could braid them into your beard. Oh. Right? So split them. Yeah. Wrap them around, braid them into your beard, and then it comes down. <laughs> and then front rat, front rat's braided down. So you got like three braids moving into the beard. Yeah. And then I think you take that front rat. Yeah. You braid it. And then you attach like a small dagger <laughs> at the end of the front rat. Yeah, I so like that. you can it becomes deadly. Like you've got an added weapon yeah. in your arsenal now. Like all you all it requires is a little bit of that headbanging motion, and then wham, you're slicing a throat with your front yeah, rat yeah. blade. A front rat blade. Front rat blade. <laughs> like a front rat blade. I like that a lot. <laughs> like everything about that is like really good. So. Here's a here's a, a a group of oh I like how we're pulling up the thin blue line. It's <laughs> so great. It's so great. God, that's that, so good. That is yeah. uh, a so we're looking at a this mullet, and it's, a dreaded mullet. Yeah, it's it's a dreaded mullet, but the front and it's it's called the thin blue line in the front with the black lives matter in the back, which is, it's like a really high and tight looking haircut, but then he, then they braided the back, like put cornrows in the back. It's fucking amazing. It's yeah. So really it's the dichotomy of man. I, that just makes me think like, like trust word, like what hair does for you. Um, like I think about Kurt Russell 
in... Why do you think about Kurt Russell? I think about Kurt Russell every single day. I know. I it's really weird. like him. Yeah. Uh, Kurt Russell in Stargate with like, what, what was the flat tops? Like the... the A flat top? Was it all that it was called? I don't know. I'm assuming. Crew cut? Flat top? Yeah. A flat top crew cut. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there, there yeah. 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 What? Like Kurt, that? That is that is not a crew cut, I believe. I think that is a flat top. Or I think it, that's called oh, a flat is top. Is that what a buzz cut was? No, that's a flat top. Because see how flat it is on the top? It's uh, an intense haircut. That's what I mean. Like, that just, that is just, an intense like, haircut. You see a guy with a flat top, like you're like, you, that, you mean business. Yeah. You're, you, you're not coming here to like lollygag. No, no. You're, you mean business. Like, yeah, the flat top, like square haircuts. That's what they call that. Yeah. Square haircut. That looks great. I don't know why they don't bring those back. I think we should. That's what I'm saying. Like, like, I think we should bring back the, the cut flat it top. flat and then spike it. That's an intense look. Because that was an option. Okay. Like when you go into barber shops around Camp Pendleton, that was the look. It's still an option. Yeah. Like I hope medium so. fade, low fade, high fade, yeah. or flat top. Yeah, I want that. Like I, I mean, I could see that. If I were in Camp Pendleton, there's two things I would do. Number one, get that haircut. Number two, yep. go get a a high interest loan to buy like a badass Trans Am. Uh, Number three. A Mustang. Right. Let's, Stanger. Please. Against Stanger. <laughs> yeah. Number three, find the grossest wife I could and get married again. Like yeah. it's like one, two, three. Well, Just knock a, them all down. Yeah, you need you know a solid I mean? dependipotamus. Yeah, dependipotamus. Sure. Which I think was a solid inside joke on on the, the Moff video that you did, the military uniform fashion show. Yeah. Oh, God, the dependipotamus was like a very solid inside joke for the military community. Yeah, I don't know. A lot of people uh, didn't like, understand that video. No, it, that one. They didn't, they didn't understand it. Was misunderstood a little bit, I think. Yeah, I, I, I think there is a general misunderstanding at times as to like, do we care? You know, yeah. like, do we care? We do. We care a lot. We care about being funny. Mm-hmm. We care about being irreverent. We care about like making great coffee. We care about a lot of things, right? But a lot of what we make is for ourselves. Yeah. And the people that think it's also funny. So, well, that has been our kind of pillar for so long here. Uh, that if we say this is so stupid, yes. this is so dumb while we're in the process of making it, it's, yeah. it's like it became a sign that, like, oh, we're doing something right. Yeah. Because it's so stupid. So stupid. And I walked U.S. Army starty, starter pack. That, that's fucking amazing. Like, oh, five finger death punch. Yeah. Yep. US Army. Oh my God. Grizzly well, like, long cut. Yeah, the affliction tattoos. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah, that's so good. You got the Mustang, you've got the Grizzly Long Cut, come and take it. Sure. The monster energy, Marlboro Smokes. It's more of a Marine thing. I don't think it's an army yeah. thing. It's more of a Marine nah, thing. There's all the Marines smoked. Like there's like a thing. All all of them smoke. Soldiers don't smoke. I feel like soldiers they do. Smoke a lot. I mean, nobody really smoked. That I knew, and that I mean, what, what, are, what are the seals? What are the seals? Do they smoke? No, I don't feel mm. like they're smokers. Mm. They're smoking. 
<laughs> yeah, I see what you did there. Yeah, I'm surprised we're not on there. We're not doing. We're not doing a good enough job. Well, he with, didn't. Like, he didn't search Brovet. Oh if yeah, 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 yeah. We could have. We could have done that. We, we could have done a much better job. Search. You know, doing that like Brovet uh, meme. What about you though? Did, would you have changed anything about your path in the military? Yeah, I think there would have been a few things that, uh, oh man, there's some good ones. Yeah, there's, there is like a really, oh, those are good. Rovet. Oh yeah, those are good. Those are really good. Uh, I think that there's a few things that I would have changed, but not, not necessarily. I think that you, you have your path. So you would have ultimately turned yourself into a totally different person. So if you would have re, if I would have gone back and had to rewrite DNA, yeah, I would have been a completely different person. Um, so I think it's hard because you're, you're basically saying you would have done something completely different and then you would have come up with a di- totally different outcome. Um, for me, I don't know. Like, uh, I think, I would have not spent as much time in, uh, in Iraq. I, I could just had a lot of time there. Yeah. And I could just, I would have just kind of, you know, Last I'll get, time get in it. Iraq. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Don't need to watch this movie for five years. <laughs> I've seen this again. Yeah. Got it. You know, so I would have liked to have like done other things I, you know, I got to go to Africa. I did a few trips to Africa. Those were interesting. They weren't combat interesting because combat is very like it's, it's dynamic. It's, uh, it's, um, you know, it's, 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 there's a lot there to keep, keep a person's attention for extended periods of time. So I think my travel that I did have outside of the country, which was the majority of my adult life from basically you know, 25 to, you know, 35. Uh, I would have liked to have seen more of the world. Like I've only been to South America because of Black Rifle Coffee. Yeah. Because of coffee trips, it would have been interesting to see more of the world, not just Iraq, 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 Afghanistan, Afghanistan, yeah. Afghanistan, Afghanistan. Ooh, a little bit of Africa, a little bit of Israel, you right. know? Yeah. Uh, and obviously Southeast Asia, I went to Southeast Asia a bunch of times, but... South America intrigues me. Uh, I know Thai, so like I spoke Thai, but I've never been there. Never been to Thailand. Uh, I spoke French because I worked in West Africa, but I would have uh, concentrated on a foreign language, learned the foreign language, and then tried to really dive in and be a subject matter expert. And if you think about just knowing Spanish, which I don't know, so I'm just I'm I'm going along with sure. this hypothetical conversation. It opens up an entire hemisphere to explore. If you know Spanish and English, you can go anywhere right. in a hemisphere. Like you got fucking half the world you can cover. Yeah. There's a lot of really cool shit to see in half the world where right. you can speak the language. That to me, if I had to rewrite some things, it'd be like, great. Now I've unlocked an entire hemisphere. So I think I'm just going to dive into all the different countries and regions and you know central and south america I just yeah. spent most of my time there um because i i didn't really get a lot of i would say um 
cultural uh, evolution or individual like, cultural lessons from Iraq, a, a more of like a, a, a lesson in humans, right? You know, yeah. Like, how do they react, and how do you react? But it, it's almost as if there was a, a a part of me that stopped learning after a while because I just, I wasn't really even interested in a lot of what was happening unless it was for what are, how are the IEDs coming into country? You know, who are the, who are the Iranian tribes and what are they doing? And you know, who's, who's associated with all these different factions in Iraq, but from the historical perspective, like I was in Nineveh, which is like the birthplace of the Samaritan, yeah. Uh, Samara. Yeah. The cradle of civilization. The cradle of civilization. Like I worked there in, you know, I've been to Babylon and, and we, you know, I've done more touristy things, but like I was in Mosul for over a year and they have one of, they had before ISIS destroyed it, which is probably one of my, uh, I think my biggest regrets is not, trying to spend more time and forcing myself into like the museums and some of the other more historically significant places in Iraq, because I did have that latitude. I could have done more because I had like really extreme left and right limits on a lot of this stuff. But for whatever reason, I was either, you know, mentally exhausted or physically exhausted or just didn't really want to fucking do it. Yeah. Now I'm like, man, I should have spent more time like, the Sumerians were very interesting group of people. And that was all there. And uh, do you, do you think that Sumerians got their knowledge from aliens, alien species? I, uh, no, I love, I, I love the, the, uh, the theory Right, I love the conspiracy theory that the Sumerians were injected with alien DNA from these alien beings called the Anunnaki, and it, it, please, by everyone should go and and read this. If you've never heard of it, you go like read about it because we're having a coffee. I, I'm designing this coffee bag right now called the Anunnaki Gold, and um, it's all based on this conspiracy theory. And I don't know if it's conspiracy theory, but it's a theory, right? That the Sumerian culture was injected by alien DNA and they formed what we know now as humans. And then those humans um, became civilization basically. Yeah. Um, And there's lots of different theories. You know, they, they made us so they could harvest gold using us as slave labor. Uh, I, I love conspiracy theories and I love theories like this because they're hyper entertaining to me. It's almost like my, my mind candy, you know, like if I'm going to, if you're going to eat something like eat a really good cheesecake, that's like really rich. It's amazing. (laughs) Right. It's not just like an M and M like go for it. Like go for the really big conspiracies that are just delicious because they're fun. So I don't think that's the case. I, I think if there's anything that um, I don't think that we are injected by an alien DNA. I think that's just kind of a, 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 a ridiculous notion. I think 
the earth might be much older than we assume it is. And I think that civilization could have developed and been destroyed and developed and been destroyed multiple times over. Um, you know, I love Graham Hancock. I think it's like yeah. his, his books are incredible. I think he takes some pretty extreme leaps in, in, you know, historical accuracy at times. I, I would never debate him because you just fucking crush me like a, a fucking right. bug. But I think that the, the theory is sound where humans could have developed and evolved and been basically destroyed and civilization could have, have rebuilt itself multiple yeah. times. And there's a very small select group of people each of these times that are able to make it through yeah. said catastrophe or right. cataclysmic event. And that's why some knowledge has, although it may sound very strange to us, has lasted a long time. <clears throat> but a lot of stuff starts to make sense a little bit when you think about it this way. When, like, why is the theory of Atlantis so prominent within our culture? Right. right? And was there, is it that? far-fetched to think that there was civilizations that made it further than what we thought they did you know, thousands upon thousands of years ago. I think right. that the one thing that really like kind of opened me up and really made me start thinking was this younger Dryas yeah, yeah. with the meteor yeah. that hit the, yep. the ice shelf and that there could have been a, a civilization that was, you know, had technology that was developed, but it wasn't like the tech we think of and the phones and, and that sort of thing that was probably knocked off the face of the earth. But if they were able to maintain, if there was, if the society was a water-based society and they had ships, it kind of redefines their capabilities. And then it starts to make sense when you look at some of the structures in South mm -hmm. America, Egypt, why are they so similar? Yeah. But they're so f far apart from a global standpoint. Right. It started like you start asking yourself these questions a little bit and then looking for answers. And it just, the way that we have it doesn't really make sense right mm -hmm. now. It doesn't like, not everything clicks through. And then it was, I believe it was another one of Graham Hancock's books. They found the, the oldest humanoid that they found so far it was in San Diego was 160,000 years old right so humanoids have been around for that's a really long time it's a long time it's a really long time yeah. the idea that there could have been technological developments and rises and falls of civilization isn't that hard to comprehend no i i, I think you're i think you're right i think that we, we would almost have to assume that's the case because I think that doctrinally, if we're looking at it, people always just assume, well, this is the, this is the line. Like we, we started here and we're here, Yeah. but there are big gaps. And then when you look at things specifically with architecture, to your point, we still don't know how the pyramids they don't, were built. No, the, there is... No architect that can be like that could recreate right the the great pyramids. Like the best ones in the world have gone like I don't know. I, I don't do know. Uh, is it, maybe it's couldn't a, do it. A ramp. I mean, I, I mean, and I I love watching things like this. Yeah, the, the, I like it, it, because 
there's all this speculation and then people running experiments. Like I don't the- I don't buy into the grand conspiracies of things, right? So I don't really buy into we, and the reason I don't buy into like grand conspiracies like this, where this this whole notion is if the the entire scientific community is hiding something from everyone else. Yeah. I just don't believe that because science in academia and you know people that are working within the the fields, the, the scientific fields, they're not under one uniformed basis, meaning they're not under one unit that has national representation. They're individuals looking for funding. And I've, I've heard all the, yeah. the the things where it's like, but they're all after the grants from the big money and pharma and fucking the, the Illuminati and all this stuff. Like, but knowing people within the scientific community and then knowing people that have worked within the university systems and then how they get grants and how they actually publish work that would be completely contradictory to even right. 90 plus percentile of, of the scientific field. So when we look at like conspiracies, it's not conspiracy. It's they're taking what is assumed as general knowledge and they're applying that because if they're saying like four plus four equals eight, it's going to be really fucking hard for somebody to convince somebody else that four plus four doesn't equal eight because they're taking that as fact. So they've all agreed uniformly that this is factual and we're moving forward on the basis yeah. of scientific theory that this is fact. So in order to change facts, you have to have more scientific research. You have to change the narrative right. based on, you know, could be tens of tens of years, if not decades of hundreds of years of more research. So in order to persuade the entire scientific community that there's something like inherently evil and conspiratorial, or I should say convincing people that the, the scientific community is conspiratorial and they're, they're evil and they're hiding something. It's just not the case. I don't think, yeah. I, I just like with the pyramid thing, people are like, well, the f- people are hiding the fucking aliens and stuff. I'm like, no, I, I don't think they are. I think they're just assuming facts and then they're moving on because the majority of scientists don't really give a shit about how the fucking pyramids yeah. were made. Yeah. Like they don't care. I, at this point in my life, I work off of a baseline uh, theory that humans are like, for the most part, we're fairly incompetent. Yeah. And, and grossly so, incompetent. Like, mass conspiracies. Like it's just not likely because no. people are, they want to have the juice that they tell the world, this is the way it is. There's just too much opportunity for someone to ruin a conspiracy. Well, and there's too many people out there. One of the reasons why I don't agree with these massive conspiracy theories is because um, there's so many people that believe so many different things about like the CIA, for instance, and knowing like being inside the organization for nine years and then talking to people and the way that they think about the CIA and the way the CIA actually is two totally different things. They're like, Oh my God, I've had people ask me, are there aliens 
Like, <laughs> yeah, man, like the organization is 20 plus thousand people. And the first thing they do is like, they sign you in. They're like, welcome to the CIA. Here's Would your you alien like, brief Here's your fucking alien brief book. Like here, there's where they are. Area 51. Oh, there's the dude that killed JFK. Do you want to meet him? Like, oh, there he is. You know, and you're like, no, man, that's, it's not the way it is. Like it, yeah. it, you, you can't keep a secret. I shouldn't say you can't. I think Benjamin Franklin said the way that you keep a secret for between three people is two of them are dead. So it's really difficult to keep a secret for a long period of time on a grand conspiracy level. It's almost impossible when it requires hundreds of people because every person past one in the the actual definition is, you know, a, a group of people keeping a secret and conspiratorial, but it's very difficult. And so for aliens, a good example for, for, you know, aliens to be known about within the government or with, within the government for, we'll call it the last 70 years, because from area 51 and the actual space landing and, yep. you know, was a weather, was it a weather balloon? Was it not? And like, whether or not, you know, guys have been working in research labs and doing this and doing that. I'm not saying that it's not possible. I'm saying it's almost impossible to have prevented people from talking about it. But the unfortunate thing is, is there's, if there's good people that are talking about it with, you know, integrity about the real circumstance, there are a thousand people talking about it that are fucking crazy and they're just lying. So it, de- it, it devalues the actual real information right. and it almost becomes impossible to figure out what is fact or fiction. Right. Yeah. The one like interesting case that's, happening ongoing recently is the inability for a president to release information regarding JFK. Oh, I know. It's crazy. Like, it keeps like, it keeps getting pushed back. And it's I crazy. my theories on it, but like, that's kind of, it's a secret. Like it's what, a secret. whatever those findings are, it's a secret. And it f- seems like Whoever is in office doesn't want to deal with whatever those findings are. Well, what it is, and this is the reason why I think they're not declassifying it, is because whatever is in those classified documents makes the United States look really bad. Yes. And the the reason they're not declassifying it is because they know that people are still emotional about it. And they still keep it kind of at the top of their mind. And then what this will do is it will validate, uh, we'll call it our, our strategic enemies, and then provide them with layers of information in order to discredit the country and, and become more divisive yeah. and divide the country even more. So the reason they're maintaining the classification is not to protect people. I think it's to protect the government from the people and from our strategic enemies using the information to devalue any position that we have. So a circumstance would be, let's say they uncover, right? So like in the conspiracy, they always say the CIA had something to do with it, right? right? Whether or not they did or didn't, if people that worked for the CIA had something to do with it, which that's the thread where- It wasn't officially sanctioned, right? right? But- individuals in the CA worked out of their channels in order to do this thing. That's the theory, right? That's their theory. a theory. 
but what that would do is it would automatically force people to try to hold the CIA today accountable for what the CIA would have done in, in the 1960s, which is just a completely different organization. Right. And, but people would still expect because it's new, right? It just released now. They, they don't know that, you know, 80 years, wait, well, sorry, 40. So 60 years have passed. Organizations completely different. What they would expect is for the agency to be held to a standard from 60 years ago and there would be an accountability or a reckoning. Right. Well, you need the CIA. Like you need the NSA and you need the CIA. Unfortunately, that's the reality that we live in. If you were to force the reckoning based on what happened 60 years ago, it would be defunding. It would be delegitimizing. It would, it would just completely fraction. Yeah. Uh, hurt everything. It hurt everything. The nation has built over Correct. decades. And there's quite literally... Uh, like zero doubt in my mind that like there was something nefarious going on there. Now, whether or not it was just like Alan Dulles, uh, who was the former director of the agency that, uh, that JFK fired and he had an ax to grind with both RFK and JFK both. Um, the, the Dulles brothers, which is, uh, there, there's a, there's a great book actually. It's called the brothers Dulles or the Dulles brothers. I forget. Yeah. Um, a lot of people don't realize why it's you know Dulles International Airport. They don't even know who the Dulles brothers were, but they're the most powerful, influential people in the United States government. There are two brothers. One was the head of the CIA, and one was the head of the State Department. Uh, leading in, leading in, and then also uh, post JFK, they were they're really powerful, um, and they were probably the two most influential people within government. Period. Yeah. And so Alan Dulles. He, he ran the CIA for a number of years, even when he wasn't in the CIA. A lot of people would say that he was still running it. Um, he, had a, he had an ax to grind, but he was also the, the head of the Warren Commission, <laughs> which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Like he was also, he had, the, he had one of the biggest axes to grind with, with uh, Kennedy. And, and then when you look back and you say, well, why? Uh, well, one the Bay of Pigs was a CIA operation. JFK cut their air like the day of the invasion. They wanted to overthrow Cuba for a wide variety of reasons, which I don't think was wrong. I think that we probably should have taken Cuba back, but that's my own personal perception or my personal opinion. And so you piss off a bunch of CIA guys, paramilitary guys that are trained in the dark arts, like trained in the, the art of right. overthrowing and assassinating governments. So you, you just left a bunch of those guys to die on a beach yeah. like 90 miles away it, from Florida. And then you fire the guy that's also in charge of that. And now you have the ability for those guys that either have left the CIA or people that are in the off the book CIA uh, to go out and, and, um, we'll say remedy, right. Right. <laughs> remedy the situation. Right. And, and if you're providing this, uh, perspective and opinion against communism, and then you're, you're taking actions yeah. on this across the board. But then when it comes down to Cuba, which is the closest thing to it, then, then you pull back the rug. It was, it was very <laughs> strange and it, 
it provided this like mm-hmm. you, you saw this sense of weakness, right? Oh yeah. And, and so <clears throat> if it is an inside job, it was probably because whoever did it thought that JFK was making us look weak. Well, there are guys out there, and I've heard of, I've heard them all. Yeah. Love this one. It's like one of my favorite things, right? I've heard them all. Because there are a lot of guys out there that say that JFK had compromised the United States because he couldn't keep his dick out of his pants. And that the Cubans actually had dirt on him. That, that or the Cube, Because yeah. before, if we think back, before Havana was overthrown, like Havana was a place where all the politicians, and it was basically organized and run by the mob. Yeah. So if we roll back the history of, of the entire thing and we think, okay, well, the... The mob loved getting dirt on American politicians because then they had leverage. Yep. So now Cuba's overthrown. Now they've got dirt on JFK. And now you think about the guys in the CIA that are looking at this saying, well, JFK is compromising the integrity of the United States. And they have dirt on him. Now, they're, now it becomes more of their duty to do something. It's not about right. like what's happening. It's we, we have to protect the country from communism. We have to protect the country from, you know, Soviet intervention. So if he's compromised, how do you fix that? So there are a lot of guys that are like, yeah. Havana's over overthrown. Fidel's in power. The mob has dirt on him. Everybody has dirt on him. So do we have a Soviet asset? And I'm pretty sure if there were guys in the CIA that thought that the president was a Soviet asset and they knew how to do what they were really good at, they're going to use multiple layers of cutouts. And then, you know, Lee Harvey, the guy that was in the Marine Corps when he was like 19 and, you know, radio operator, like, come on, man. Like you can, you can frame that guy up pretty easily. Yeah. And there's a couple things that happen that like, they're like oddly interesting, like oddly interesting, like JFK, he called off his security detail that day. Like the national guard was supposed to be there with him. And he said, nah. And then he picked that open air convertible. And then two, it Stand on one. It was like he knew, like, and there's been like reading a few books. There was, there was a dialogue going on from him that was like he he suspected something was going to happen, right? And then to me, like, I from a shooter's perspective, yeah, I don't understand why Lee Harvey Oswald didn't take the shot earlier when the car was coming directly at him. You would think, as opposed to taking a much more difficult shot on a moving target that's quartering away. It's a, it's, it's a tougher shot. It's a way harder shot. So there's the magic bullet, right? It's like the fucking bullets completely intact. It's like, Oh, look at, we found it on the gurney. (laughs) Yeah. It's so stupid. stupid. Which everybody knows is like, it's bendy bumper. Like why, why did someone throw a bullet on the gurney? Like that's why I don't think I think at the time there were a bunch of people trying to like cover this up as fast as they could. They didn't understand the level of sophistication they were going to have to go into in order to really get this done because they, they, they left a lot of loose ends. Yeah. 
And because they left a lot of loose ends, now those, those things don't fit. So then to sew this entire thing up, it has to fit like 100%. Because he's the, he's a president. And he was, for the most part, fairly beloved. Yes. Because it was like, I think at that time, it was like having a Kardashian in office to where it was like these people that have, from the perspective of people want to get behind a character that they can watch and like follow through time yeah. and like, Oh, they really like them. I mean, because Jackie they're good was looking. beautiful and yeah. he was, you know, young. I mean, think about that. He was, I think he was in his forties. Yeah. Cause it, well, it was, it was what? 1962, 1940. Yeah. He was 40. Was he was he like 46, 45, 46 years old. Yeah. Look it up, Matt. See what, how old was he when he died? So he was 22, 45. Yeah. It was like 44 years old. So here's a guy in his 40s, 46. When yeah. he was killed? killed. Yeah. So 46 he's 46 when years he was old. Killed. So here's a young, comparatively. I mean, think about the, like, we have an elderly person that basically wears a diaper now right. as the president that can barely put together a coherent sentence. And then the previous president, like, he, he was coherent and cognizant. Uh, but he was also 70s. He was also in his 70s. Right. So it's, it's like, this guy was young. He was rich. He, his wife was hot. So here's this like very, you know, it was Camelot, right? Yeah. It was like this young, handsome, you know, pretty woman. And they're all like in the White House. Like they didn't really talk about the fact like he had, you know, a, a, a stable of women, a stable of women servicing him on a regular yeah, he had a, he had a, a drug use like mm-hmm. through the roof because of his back injuries from yeah. the PT boat. And have I mean, you read that book? Which have one? You, his PT one oh nine. Yeah, I have one oh nine. Yeah, in this room somewhere. I haven't profiles. Uh, I mean, I've read profiles and courage. PT one oh nine. But yeah, I mean, think about that. Like, look, look at this dude. He's the president of the United States. He's in his 40s. It seems like a perfect scenario, like a war hero yeah. that is beloved by the nation, yeah. that's good-looking, young, fit, perceivably, yeah. and able. Yeah. And then you can see how most of America was like, this was this was the, the guy. Yeah. This was the family. Like, this was a beacon of what mm-hmm. America was supposed to be. But beneath the service... Beneath the surface, completely different case. Yeah, he was... The Nixon-Kennedy debate, which is a very popular debate, uh, where the people that watched it, it was actually the first televised presidential debate, was uh, Nixon and Kennedy. Um, The people that watched it said that Kennedy won. The people that listened to it said that Nixon won. Interesting. Nixon was sick. He had basically walking pneumonia. So he was ashen he was like sweating that's right and then kennedy just got back from like you know havana or wherever the fuck he was uh and so he was tan uh full of you know like you know color even in black and white you could see the difference between the older balding nixon which goes back to you know people that are bald are untrustworthy i guess um but they debated 
the people that listened to it were like, Nixon won. And almost identically on the other end, Kennedy won. So here's this handsome guy that was obviously, yeah. you know, articulate and handsome, but he still didn't necessarily win. But there could have been a totally different breakdown between the people that were tuning in on TV and tuning in on the radio as to uh, what the demographic was. I'm not exactly sure, but I I love the the country was so much smaller back then too. When we think about how the population, we'll just call it, what was the population of the United States in the 1960? Because that was the year of the presidential election. Oh, this is a good little rabbit hole thing. Yeah. I, I bet it was like... It's got to be half, right? It's got to be like two, 150? 200 million, 150? 180. 180, right so, between. Okay. Yeah, we're, we're like basically... But that's half. That's half. That's half where so we're at now. You think about how small that is. 180 million people. That's, we're 300 plus. It's really a small group of people. And even in Washington at that time, everybody fucking knew one another. Yeah. So George Bush Sr., HW, not W, not W, but HW, HW knew Kennedy. Like they were in Dallas the same day. He was in Dallas running for Congress the same day that Nixon was elected. They were both World War II grads and their dads we're both in politics as well. So like Prescott Bush and Kennedy's dad, well, like they knew one another. Alan Dulles was friends with HW, which is Prescott Bush. They were yeah. friends. Alan Dulles, the head of the CIA and Prescott Bush were really good friends. They're like golfing buddies. Yeah. But they also knew Kennedy's dad. Cause he was, uh, I think he was the ambassador. He might've even been the ambassador to the, to, uh, Britain. Um, yeah. Cause when did HW start running the CIA? Oh, he, he ran was, that in the, it was like in the eighties he ran, like he was only there. He was only a director. There. He was the first director. Uh, he came in after, um, uh, forget the, the guy that, that, he ended up dying. The guy was like killed in weird circumstances and died out in Maryland in a boat. So HW is 76. the 11th director, but he came in after uh, Covey. Um, yeah, look it up. So he came in in George Dush. Yeah. yeah, 76 to 77. He was the first yeah. civilian director. So everybody else before that was part of the CIA. He just so happened to come in as the director of the CIA as the first civilian, which is like right. a whole other conspiracy theory that we yeah. could go into because the previous director, um, uh, who's the previous director, Matt? Look at the previous director. Because there, the, there was a theory in the last... When Trump didn't release yeah, the JFK findings, there was a theory that it was he was waiting for HW to pass. Well, that was one of my theories because he was waiting for uh, HW to pass because there was probably a connection between HW and the JFK assassination, which it, it, honestly, there's not too far off because when you look at... Uh, he came in, he was the director until 1976, and then, uh, and then Bush came in right after him. So 
you go from William Colby, who's like OSS, Office of Strategic Services yep. in the CIA. You go from William fucking Colby, who's like OG CIA, to a civilian, George Bush, who just came out of the Texas oil fields, guys, you know, and you're like, I got, I got dollars to donuts. He was a fucking non-official cover. Like dollars to donuts, that dude was a knock. Like, like there's like zero doubt in my mind that I think that he was. You know why? Because Prescott Bush and um, Alan Dulles were friends. So you're telling me that George H.W. Bush graduated from college. All the rest of his classmates from the Skull and Bones were like, I'm going to go to work for the CIA. But Alan Dulles' good friend, Prescott, was like, well, my, my son's going to go out and strike it out there and do wildcatting out in Texas. Right. Okay. Come on, man. <laughs> like, and then he, he just so happens to start an oil company around the same time that we're doing like our Gulf of Mexico expansion. So we need logistics into Central America because we're trying to fight yeah. back the red tide, which was, uh, you know, the Soviet intervention in South and Central America. And, oh, it just so happens that Operation Zapata was the, the original op name for the Bay of Pigs was Zapata. HW's first oil company that he started was Zapata Oil. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. there's so many different connections. It's so weird and, and juicy. It's, it's so juicy. Like the connection between HW, right, because the like, CIA, how? Zapata Oil, Zapata, Operation Zapata, which was an Eisenhower initiative before obviously JFK. Yeah. And then those guys got fucking smoke checked on the beach. And then HW is also like in Texas running for Congress in Texas. And then dude gets a moonroof in Dallas. I'm yeah. Just, now, I mean, it's a little weird. It's a little weird. It's a little weird. Well, how do you just like, you would think, you would just imagine that. Whoever is running the CIA has experience, at least you would want it to right. be this way. Am I blowing in, your mind right in now? Covert Matt? operations. I'm blowing your fucking mind right now. Am I blowing your mind right now? I'm kind of Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's fucking wild, man. So it's like, oh, we're too incompetent for conspiracy theories to hold true. And then we, after we get into the weeds on this one, well, it's no, like, no, I, uh, I, I think. There was a time in American history where you could have a good conspiracy. Because it was smaller. You could have, yeah. No, it was smaller. It was isolated. But once again, you go back to the scene, you know, it's it's possible to keep a secret between three people if two of them are dead, right? right? So we go back to a good conspiracy, but we have to also look at how conspiracies are formed. And then one of the most, you know, prominent conspiracy theories ever is, is it's, you know, JFK, right? The assassination of JFK, but it's not a stretch because when you think about what was happening and you think about what's happening in the CIA up to that point, because what was happening in the CIA from the office of strategic services from the OSS up until the Frank church hearings. So Colby, so William Colby was the director. He released what was called the family jewels, which were supposed to be these like hyper, hyper, classified documents that the CIA had when you can look up the family jewels, CIA released data. So William Colby did this and 
So Colby took fucking tons of heat for this from guys in the CIA, right? Okay, these are master manipulator information guys. Yeah. And, and this is right after Colby, World War II, right? What's that? This was when the Family Jewels was right after World War II, right? No, 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 no. The, the Family Jewels were like the first, was it 2007 was, but the Family Jewels, the original Colby documents that were released when they outlined the assassination attempts on Fidel Castro. Like that was Ew. the big one. And then they had, they had a bunch of these, uh, documents that were yeah there you go 74. William Colby there you go so commission in 1973 the CIA director was in response um yeah so you you can read a little bit about this but Colby took and released some of these documents now what I've always thought about this was this was just what was documented and this is what was permissible for people to see. Like this isn't talk about anything that they're like, oh my God, I can't believe the CIA tried to assassinate Fidel Castro. You know, nobody gives a fuck about that. Yeah. Like what you guys tried to like paint up sea turtles that were really made out of C4 and like, you know, cyanide <laughs> cigars, like yeah. it's just fucking like, of course you did. Like it's Fidel Castro. Like fuck that guy, you C4 know, like turtles, like who fucking cares? <laughs> but like, these dudes were running like LSD labs, like like they were they had like brothels they were building and then pulling video from you know assets where they were feeding them fucking LSD and yeah. trying to get them to truth serum and yeah. all kinds of crazy ass that shit. Was, yeah. Where you're like, man, these guys were Machiavellian as fuck. Yeah. So you're telling me that. The guys that were OSS back in the day, like jumping into occupied France that have been fucking mowing down Nazis and like, like this is a zero sum game for these motherfuckers. Like I put myself into their, their headspace because I think it's easier for me to do that, which is it's 1950. The Soviets are breathing down our fucking neck. We just got out of World War II, which I can't even imagine. Like going back to that level of fucking violence on a on a on a cycle. Yeah. That we saw the carnage. We know what's possible. Not only we know it's so close to us. We're so emotionally connected to the amount of fucking genocidal act of like World War II. We're talking yeah. about fire burning fucking cities and dropping the atom bomb and like right. this is right. this is. A zero-sum, ultra-violent game where if you lose, you die and you lose everything about your fucking country and your way of life. Like, there are no fucking rules. Right. Like, you work for the C- if you work for the CIA in 1950 all the way up until 1970, there are no rules. You got to win. You win at any cost. So it doesn't fucking matter. So you're telling me that like cyanide fucking cigars and fucking exploding turtles. Yeah. That's what was in the fucking treasure trove of documents. No, no, no motherfuckers. That's not what's in the Trevor trove. Like what these guys were doing is like sophisticated and elaborate fucking traps. They were building advanced and logical progressions to what was actually happening. So they're making something appear as it is, but it's not. The art of covert war and the art of actually like 
clandestine warfare is so much more sophisticated and it's a disgrace to even think that that's exploding fucking cigars and fucking C4 turtles. That's what they were doing. No, man. Like you're talking about guys that were, that were building insurgency uh, elements in like Algiers. Yeah. So they could frame up killing French fucking, you know, constant French, uh, uh, um, or, or yeah, French at the, the, the time, I think there's a, there's a, a, a French resistance organization built in Algiers. I think it was in the 1960s. And that terrorist organization killed a couple French politicians, which some people have said yay or nay to whether or not we were involved or not involved. Um, but you're building resistances in foreign countries to kill allied politicians because they wanted to pull nuclear weapons out of fucking Europe. Like, oh, fuck off. Like exploding cigars and fucking C4 turtles, man. Like this is like so far beyond the level of comprehension of like the level of sophistication that was happening in the 1950s, 1960s, up until the 1970s, which would be the Frank Church hearings, you know, God bless my fucking Idaho Senator Frank Church for all the great things he did. But man, he really fucking castrated the CIA in the 1970s. People can say whatever the fuck they want to say. They can say like, oh, I'm, you know, uh, uh, I I support, you know, clandestine warfare too much or whatever it is. Like at the end of the day, I don't give a shit because strategic interests of the United States, like I believe in the country and I want it to prevail. And we have real serious strategic threats. Like China and Russia are still like really big strategic threats and the gloves have to come off. Like we are fucking like, we're not going to do this. We're not going to win against the Chinese, like placating to fucking, you know, everybody and anybody like we're all equal and we all get fucking participation trophies and like, you know, like let's talk about anxiety together and all this other shit. No, you got to like take it to the fucking, take it to the people, take it, to the the Chinese Communist Party, not the people, people's people's right, right. China. You got to take it to them in a big way. Well, it seems like working through, listening to you a little bit in right after World War II, there seemed to be a shift in like Eisenhower's speech about the military industrial complex, like rings Correct. true still to Today. this day, right? And that it, there was a shift from winning the zero sum game to just being about money. And it yeah. wasn't a game about winning and the health of this nation, it was just about money. Well, I, I think there's like, I think there's a combination of players up there. I, I, when I say up there, right. It's all like, like this nebulous cloud-based fucking up there system, I guess. But I think you have a couple different players that are constantly um, involved in this and they participate together because you have people that are extremely patriotic and dedicated to the preservation of the Amer- like preservation of the American way of life but you also have people that are very capitalistic mm-hmm. and not capitalistic because capital just in general is about reinvesting in oneself or reinvesting in the company you have profiteers because when you have you'll say a very passionate mission driven uh, individual that's that's truly uh, willing to participate at any cost and win at any cost, it's very easy to profit from those because it's emotional too. So politicians can use our passion that we have for our country and our values and our countrymen and our, our communities 
They can use that in order to gaslight us and they can use that in order to get us active and participating in voting right. and get them reelected. So if you're a pure profiteer that's only ego-driven, you can manipulate people based on their passions to get reelected. But then profiteers can also profiteers can also directly manipulate and use that circumstance as well because we do want to preserve our way of life. Right. right. And we do want and we will stop at zero cost to preserve right. our way of life and win. And you could potentially present yourself as one of those things while you're Correct. being the other one. Yes. Yeah. Well, and that happens all the time, right? Because we're human beings. Yep. So you have this. We see it. We see it in, in, in our politicians every day. We see their selfish. Uh, their selfish acts. Uh, what was it? Uh, you know, not just Nancy Pelosi. I'm not using her just because she's a Democrat. Uh, she just, they just voted down uh, their, their ability to, to be prosecuted for insider trading. Right. Yeah. And what, her husband just invested like over a million dollars into some companies that. Yeah. They, they bought in the dip and they have, yeah. they have access to inside information. Yeah. They shouldn't be able to participate in this. Like any, as we're going into being publicly traded, for instance, I am under really tight restrictions as to what I can say, what I can do, what I can invest in, what I can't invest in. Like, like there's right. a lot of different restrictions because you can get rolled up for insider trading. These fucking dudes can't. <laughs> like, and there's so many different restrictions specifically from people that are in the finance industry. So, you know, people that work for like Goldman Sachs or, you know, the New York Stock Exchange or any of these other... I guess, uh, companies and things that are participating directly in the trade, there's really tight restrictions. But then when you look at our elected officials that have probably some of the, the biggest insight into how and what can change capital markets, they have no restrictions. They're just like, yeah, man, fuck. Yeah. yeah I, guess. I shouldn't say no restrictions. I'm sure there are some, but like, it's fucking crazy. I mean, that's kind of the issue that, with where we currently stand is that all, a lot of politicians are coming out of their time in service and they have way more money. Like, how is this kosher? Well, I mean, first, I don't think it is Jewish, but I, I think, um, I know. How is this like, how, how is this possible? I don't know. I I've struggled to find a solution that is American, you know? And I think that the one thing that we have to expect from our, our political representation, well, one, I think anybody that has access to information should have to pass a, 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 a background. Yeah. So if you have, in order to become the president of the United States, you have access to top secret information. You still have to pass a fucking TS. So how is it possible that the 20 year old kid has to fill out an SF-86 and can be rolled up and prosecuted for misrepresent or misinformation or mishandling information. But the person that you elect can't be. Right. It doesn't make any fucking sense. So you would honestly, if you want to run, you should be able to, or should have to take a background check. So if you want to run for political office, great. You have to pass the same fucking background check that private Snuffy does if he becomes a linguist. Right. Some people will say, well, you can't do that because we have to have open, um, 
representation and it has to represent all of us. And most people don't have background checks. I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, so I've, I've, I've had this like debate with myself a lot too. I think you have to have term limits. I think you should have to have, and they do. I mean, there's, there's all different ways you can get, try to get money out of politics, but I also think you have to get money in politics. So you have a two party system. A great example of this is uh, Morgan Luttrell, right? Awesome guy. I'm not just saying that because like he's brothers with Marcus and we have, you know, a close relationship. I'm just saying Morgan Luttrell is a fucking great guy and he's running against a 26 year old that's basically, you know, he's, he's, he's backed by, I think Ted Cruz, this 26 year old. Okay. But what does this guy really have to offer? He has no life experience. He has zero, I would say, fundamental access to experience-based knowledge that a guy like Morgan, there shouldn't even be a race. There should not even be a race there compared to those two people. But there is because the Republican Party within Texas, what they want is they want people that they can control. They don't want independent brains. They want uniformity in voting. They want people who are going to vote for the party. And the problem is the party. Because whether it's a D or an R, it's about party conformity and towing the line. It's not about representing, I think, the people at this point. So the two-party system is just fucking broken. And I think we've got to like blow that up a little bit. It's, it's, everybody wants to fix... Every, and this is the argument that I have with everybody. They're trying to always go and fix the country, fix the country, fix the process. It's not. It's the two-party system that's fucked up. Like you fix that, if you open it up to a new party and you force that, you force a correction across the board. I really do. I think if you force the third party in there, and that's getting, when I say getting money into politics, yeah, I would almost like, I would almost say that you'd have to force the two-party system to be broken up and create multiple parties. So that is the reckoning that ultimately fixes the country. Yeah. Interesting. Like, so for you as an individual who has the worldly experience you do currently sitting atop a sizable company and looking at the government overlay, do you think that government could be more efficient if it's under its current, like there's one person in charge or should it be a council of individuals who must come into uniformity, uniformity and make good decisions together as a better means to have that top layer of government? Well, I mean, that's why you have the checks and balances. I mean, that's why you have three distinctly different uh, branches of government, right? So you have the checks and balances. You have one person that's accountable, not for the whole thing. Obviously, you know, it's it's very difficult if you have, uh, you know, if if you don't have the House, the Senate, and the Executive Office, it's really hard to get legislation passed. Right. It's very difficult. It grinds to basically... Nothing. Yeah. Like you can't get shit passed unless it's through like executive order or through right, combination right. of other means. So, so specifically, my question is crafted towards uh, the executive branch, and then as opposed to like make it similar. There's how many Supreme Court justices? Yeah. Why don't we have that same model over on the executive branch as yeah. opposed to like putting our stock into one human specifically? 
Yeah, I, I don't... I think people are conditioned to need a, a chief. So when I say this, not as if we're all like living in a native American tribe. I think that like we're, we're conditioned the human beings for whatever reason, for the last several thousand years, have been conditioned to saying like, we like this person, this one person to be responsible. I think in order for this to happen, which I don't disagree with, I think philosophically it aligns with, what I believe, which is more of like a a meritocracy type situation where may the best idea win and the executive branch and how it's, how it's run. It it allows you two different things, which is if you had too many people, you wouldn't have the accountability mechanism or the reckoning every, every two to four years. Right. So you can hold somebody accountable for their actions and it becomes harder as you spread that out and then you make it, you know, across one party or Congress just in general. Right. So it becomes more about seeing things move forward as a collective and, and it's less about being able to hold somebody accountable. Um, it becomes harder. I'm not saying it's impossible. It just becomes harder. Uh, I think that you've got the, the the way you know a bill becomes a law i think you have a lot of things that are, that are you know somewhat broken in that system but it's it's slow for a reason mm-hmm. um i think you'd have to have some i think that more importantly you you should have a, a series of mechanisms that that hold people accountable to do basic things right like balance the budget against like gdp so I don't. I'm not against the the national debt. So I'm not directly against that. I think that we should have a a, a national debt threshold based on GDP. So GDP increases, then you have X amount that ultimately you can loan against because there is a certain amount of leverage debt that is acceptable. But we shouldn't be leveraging our debt against our enemies. We should be leveraging debt from internally the taxpayer, and we shouldn't be. Uh, we'll say borrowing money from the future from like social security and some of these other things that we've already prepaid for. So there are a lot of things that I would say that you could put in the correct restrictions and hold people accountable only through their, their ability to enact and pass legislation. So I think you could change the legislative process by making it, uh, there's left and right limits to it. You should not be able to, we'll, we'll say increase the debt ceiling past a certain percentage of GDP unless it's a time of war or national emergency, right? So sure. there's there has to be like caveats there where you'd say, you know, if you're you're at war, you gotta do it. Yeah. You, you gotta do it. Yeah. Th- this thing that we're in right now, this pandemic does not consider, I think it's not a national emergency. Yeah. Which is trending towards added layers of accountability outside yeah. of every four years we t- or two years we take a look at. You would well, and, and the worst thing about changes. it is that they're constantly running. So they have to like, we, I think having term limits would solve a lot of these issues because it's like you get, we'll just say as a president, right? You get six years and you're done. Like you don't get to run again. You don't get another fucking shot at the title. That's it. You get six years and you're out that way. You know, four years is you got to start running literally halfway into your term, you got to start running again. Right. 
So you get right. two years and really you're always trying to, to get your second term. Right. It seems more heavy into a, a course of action that's heavy on talking. Yeah. And saying you're going to do something as opposed to having the time to actually go out and physically do it. Right. That's a really interesting point. Cause it just seems like in the grand scheme of things, like four years isn't a lot of time to get shit done. You can't get anything done in four years. I mean, granted, you can build a business with hundreds of people, but you know, it's not a big deal. Um, no, I think you, you, you're right. You can't get anything done in four years. And more importantly, two, two years is really all you get. And truly what, what they're, they're trying to run again within like the first year. So, yeah. you know, you have like 90 days to do a bunch of shit. You know, the first 90 days, got to get, get a bunch of stuff, 90 days, 90 days, 90 days. And then it's like, if you don't own the house in the Senate, you're not going to get shit done anyway. So there's certain portion of the, the presidents, they, they really don't want to own the house and Senate because it gives them an excuse. So they can yeah, constantly yeah. blame, well, you know, we got to get that other party. You know, those, those dang Republicans, they prevented me from this. Or those dang Democrats, they prevented me from this. You know, and really, they don't want to do anything. What they want is they want to be president. They don't, they don't want to fucking do anything. They want the title so they can, you know, say that they were the 52nd president or whatever, the 47th or 48th or whatever it is. They want to be able to write their memoirs, write their memoirs. They want to go out and build beach houses and fucking yeah. jerk off for the rest of their lives. That's what they want to do. They don't, I, I shouldn't say they, there's probably been a few presidents that have, have really tried to do something for the country and not themselves, but just the, the position itself is so contrary to altruist endeavor that it's just really becomes about like, like satisfying an ego. And then it becomes sociopathic because you'll do anything to vote to get that fucking title, get the power. I don't know. How yeah. did we get onto this? This has fucking been a crazy Conspir conversation. I mean, conspiracy. But, you know. Oh my God. We'll, we'll still this figure, is great. You know, we'll have a, we'll figure out the solution for yeah. the American politics situation on the next episode with Mr. Hayford Logie Bear. But Oh man, this has been a good episode. Yeah. We got conspiracies we got fucking hairstyles war. we got hairstyles <laughs> like fuck this has been a good episode awesome thanks guys yeah. that concludes today's training any questions <laughs> Woo! drum titties boy